Never thought there was any use in denying the past. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today we're going to talk about how that quote is wrong and part of the Cowboy Bebop live action show here on Genreless. I had to use that one more time because last time I get a chance to use that. But <laughs> I hate that song so much. I know. And I, and I was giving you the eye like, why are we listening to this crap music when instead we could be listening to the wonder that is Southern Cross's opening theme? Like, because I, I petitioned for it, but Eddie's like, I do most of the tech stuff and we will have none of that nonsense. See, what our audience doesn't know is that recently uh, uh, the software we use to record um, now allows us to have video while we're recording. So I actually can see Chris and I saw him throwing up the horns when I played that music. So I know he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm only works if you can't see me. Noted. <laughs> oh, right. Noted. But, but your face is giving it away. Um, so... Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but I kind of want to preface with the fact that um, with a show as seminal as the original Cowboy Bebop anime, any kind of remake is never going to stack up, right? It, it's just not. Um, I don't think it's fair to go as far as say it should never have been made because I think this show did do a lot of interesting things and tried to do some interesting stuff. And I think it's a good way to look at what you have to balance when you're doing a remake, like at some point in time, if we ever talk about, say, Watchmen, I think there's another kind of conversation of how being too faithful or being not faithful enough can actually be a problem. And sometimes you find new things through a different approach. Uh, but um, so this show critically was always going to have a very tall hill to climb. Uh, so I want to go in with that, knowing that we're going to be a little more critical of this just by the nature of comparing it to what is probably one of the most iconic anime shows ever, in, in, at least in the Western world. And Pales also, only in comparison to Southern Cross. I, that is an opinion that can be had, yes. Um, and then separately, uh, I, I personally just want to say that I am nowhere near as down on this show as many other fans have been. I, I really wish this had gotten a second season, uh, but... It also genuinely did have problems, and I can see why, particularly on the second watch, why it probably didn't get that second season. As let let me be part of the Reddit group that will eventually talk about our episode. Um, <laughs> so then, why couldn't they just go out of their way to literally remake the anime live action episode per episode and beat per beat? Um, because that show already exists. Honestly, for one thing, um, I mean, if you're just basically remaking a thing that already exists. Then you get to the question of why why even do this? Why does this even happen? Um, I, I feel like when you do something like this, you have to kind of play with the formula a little bit. Uh, and one piece that I think a lot of people didn't get, which I kind of got pretty early on, is that this is much more structured like a martial arts action film. The, the martial arts set pieces are much bigger piece of the structure, which in anime, there's no production change one way or another, right? Like it actually is an action scene. This is very specifically, um, uh, 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 double check to make sure I get the name right. Yes, John Cho. I was supposed to say John Wu. I know it's John Cho. 
um, specifically wanting to showcase that piece and do that stuff. And, and I think for that, there's some decisions were made. Combined with the fact also is that they had a 10-episode order as opposed to a 26-episode order, they, they, ha- they have to do some compressing too, right? So I understand the instincts for making changes. What changes they made, why they made them, and how they got made are, is definitely room for debate. But I'm certainly on team. It couldn't have been exactly the same thing. All right. We, we had to get that out. Out, out in the open, so it's been addressed. Exactly now we don't have to touch it on it anymore. But yeah, but I'm going to go ahead and say for potentially a future that, review. That is why I don't like the Watchmen movie. That from what you said, now having watched it a second time, I think you said equivalently you like it a little bit less, and you would question why there'd be a second season. Yeah, that take, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the first time I watched it, I did not have as positive experience as I had on our rewatch. Now, oh, okay. And so we kind of get I think, closer together. <laughs> And I think part of that comes from the fact that we so recently watched the first, the animated series. Because mm-hmm. originally when I went into it, I went into it from a perspective of I saw a Cowboy Bebop, the anime, a bajillion years ago. And it has like this lofty place in, in my mind. And then I tried to sit down to watch the new show. There were a lot of disparities between the two and some writing choices I questioned and some casting choices I had issues with. Mm-hmm. I still have issue with the casting choices, but I am now more open to the interpretation that they decided to do because it feels a lot more like a Western yeah, and a lot more, as you were saying, sort of focused on some of the physical aspects and the martial art pieces. Cause I also recently watched when I was making haunted West, I watched the entire series of warrior on HBO max. If you still uh-huh. like HBO max, check out Warrior; it's a great show, amazing casting, like great acting, great action, everything. Mm-hmm. And bringing all of that into it made the show resonate that much more. And I think it easily deserved a second or third season. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get into my issues with it when we talk about some people. Okay. Um, actually, we don't normally do this, but since you mentioned casting, I, I, I think it is worth kind of talking about this. Um, let's talk about the, at least the, the main cast. Um, because I'm with you. It's kind of... Uh, conflicting for me i do want to start by saying however it is the japanese dub cast um uh, koichi yamadera who voiced spice Spiegel in the anime also did the japanese dub of the live action versions which i thought was a really that's cool awesome match. yes most everyone else was recast but the fact that they cast the same pe- person to play spike's voice in both of them i thought was a really neat bit um but let's start with uh, john cho as spike spiegel i thought i thought he looked the part but for some reason his body language was off for me and i can't quite articulate why um, for me, he worked for the role. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons that like I just touched on is that in the anime spike is supposed to be late twenties and John Cho is a couple decades older than that. Right. But that also works in to give the gravitas of like this person having lived a life mm-hmm. and that sort of displays through. And he still has like all the moves and everything else. But as a 40, 50 year old person, you may have the moves and skills that you had before, but you're not necessarily doing it the same way. Maybe I would it. almost think. I was just saying, like, maybe it's that John's a little less languid than maybe the anime version. And part of me, having seen like a lot of John Cho's work before, thinks that might have been an, an active acting choice to do. Oh, okay. That's fair. Because even in the anime, I think we touched on last time, is that these people are sort of like at the end of their, not their life, but like they've already peaked that crest of like their peak and they're on a downward slant. And it's mm-hmm. what they're doing now in that slant. And that helps add to that. Right. Right. Uh, Mustafa Shakir, 
Um, I'm conflicted because I don't think it's an accurate portrayal of the black jet we saw in the anime, but I kind of like this jet black a little better. <laughs> so I actually liked Mustafa Shakir, what he was playing, while it wasn't necessarily to my mind as quite as faithful. I don't know what your thoughts are. Um, the the perfect casting for the role. Okay. Hands down, because the character itself is somewhat different than what it is in the anime. Right. And right, right. I think even if they'd stayed true to the anime, he could have pulled off the anime version or the version he was given. He sort of embodied Jet, like the voice and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I won't touch on like the plots and what they changed the character, but it right. felt like Jet the, uh, the entire time. That's kind of, I think, where I'm at. Um, uh, so, hot take, and I've watched both of these. Jet Black in the anime is a little more boring than Jet Black in this version. He's Jet Black is more motivated by his relationship with Spike in the anime. Jet Black is more of a distinctive character in this version, and I think Mustafa brings that to the plate. That's what I was saying. Is like it's not an accurate portrayal. I, I think he brings a bit more to it, and that change I think is to Jet Black's benefit as a character in this. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, I this podcast has been firmly in the case of uh, uh, you know we don't buy into the well he was white in the anime race and how race portrayed in anime is a whole complicated topic that is not worth getting into. But suffice to say, that didn't matter. Um, and um, I thought that that Mustafa more more beneficially played off of John Cho. Well, they had real genuine chemistry, which was needed for the show to work. Yeah, I think part of the thing though is the anime. It is Spike's show, and everyone else is sort of like yes. Spike's friends. Right. This is more of an ensemble show, so you have yes. to expand out everyone else's life and add additional depth to their characters. Right. Which brings me to the third one is uh, Daniela Pineda as Faye Valentine. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, I, to, to your point, like Faye also was kind of very much in her, identified by her relationship with Spike. Um, she was the person who would betray slash help Spike at random moments. So they had to make her uh, a distinctive character in this as well. Um, and I like the energy that she brought to the role. Um, but for some reason, uh, it just didn't quite land for me. And I think it's partially because I don't, I think some of it is I'm not like happy with some of the actual choices they made for her as a role. You know, what, what her actual writing was for her. Yeah. I, I think if she had different scripts, she probably could have been a little bit better. I'm of a similar opinion. The out of the trio, Faye would be the weakest part of that trio for me mm-hmm. the group themselves seem to gel but there is something that was intrinsically off about the character it felt almost like it wasn't Faye so much but a female version of spike like mm-hmm. if we made spike kind of a cursing loudmouth a little bit more they'd be like almost mirror opposites of each other right and that doesn't play well to like the character that I was expecting to see. And in this rendition, it also doesn't really give Faye like a reason to be there and not leave at like any opportune moment. Because Faye is in the anime, almost an antagonist to the group. I mean, she's, she's a protagonist from a, from a narrative structure standpoint. Uh, But certainly she at times causes problems for the group as well as supporting the group. 
And in this one, outside of the first episode or so, which we'll go through in a minute, um, I felt like she kind of just became part of the crew pretty quickly and never really moved out of that role in an authentic way. Uh, I, I, my, my frustration with, I think, this whole view of the ensemble is that, again, she genuinely had chemistry with the other two actors. I mean, that was, that was very, very clear. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the nature of a Netflix-style show ultimately kind of hamstrung some of the potential of this, and I think we'll see that more as we talk in individual episodes. But uh, admittedly, for me, one of the reasons I really wanted this show to work is because it was a genuinely compelling show, action, adventure, sci-fi show with three leads, all of them of color, and the fact that they were of color wasn't a plot point. Yeah. And so like, just for that reason alone, I really wanted this show to succeed because it was a genuinely fun, exciting show. And if it had been anything but Cowboy Bebop, I think it probably would have had a second season right now, you know? Because the level of hate and vitriol it received even before it, anyone saw an episode of it or like even clips, it started getting hate. And that is um, a hill that was almost insurmountable. Yep. And then some, some of how the responses were from both the constant hate from the public and then some of the cast response from the networks and everything else were also interesting to take. Mm-hmm. And But that is one of the constant conflicts we're seeing now in media where there are so many... I'm going to go ahead and say it. So many racist and haters out there that don't want to see these roles and like these things made will attack something here to bring it down before it's even had a chance. Right. And studios and networks are in this weird place where they don't necessarily want to promote the diversity, but they know they need to, to appeal to a larger demographic while they're still trying to retain those racists and haters. Mm -hmm. So their responses have been hit and miss at best. We could use Disney and John Boyega and how they did nothing to help John Boyega or Rose. I'm sorry. I forgot the actress's name from, from like the hate they got. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like went offline completely and they're still being hated and targeted to this day. And they're still trying to recover from that. Yep. Absolutely. Um, And uh, uh, I want to bring it up because it is the elephant in the room kind of talk about it and get past it. But it was something that frustrated me because like, if you take the comparison out of the equation, when I watched this the first time, I was like, this is just a genuinely, this is a genuinely fun show. I want to see more of this. It has three leads that are all very fun and really great at their jobs. And the back of my head is going, I know this could fucking canceled because they're, they're actors of color. And it's like, and sure that, that there's, there's more to it than that accordingly. But, um, one quibble that the network gave, I'll get into because I want to talk about it specifically regarding Jet Black, um, but I, I think it's bullshit, so we'll see. Um, actually, no, fuck it. I'll talk about it now. Um, Netflix claimed that the reason why they canceled it a month after it aired, a month, uh, is that um, the viewership was too low compared to the high cost of it. I've seen <laughs> the prosthetic that Jet Black has. You can't tell me that cost a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> And to me, that was part of the charm, though, right? That was one of the things I actually kind of dug about. It was like, oh, cool. It's a kind of mid-budget sci-fi film with leads of color. That's actually something that the world needs more of, right? You know? Um, but then I was like, no, it was way too expensive. I'm like, was it, though? <laughs> How much it's did the dog cost? I mean, really? <laughs> but I'm, I have issue with that. And there's questionable at best, because even if you look at the locations where most of the actions and things happen, it's mm-hmm. almost like Doctor Who back from the 70s where yeah. let's just go down to the quarry and shoot. 
we'll put like a tarp over that rock and no one will know it's a new location. Yeah. I mean, like it's it, a lot of the outdoor stuff was so clearly a set. Um, it's like, you know, they, they dressed a studio up to look like an outdoor set. Um, they structured the scripts to reuse sets or to have set locations with minimal impact, like where, you know, warehouses and shit. Um, you're right. It's very kind of Dr. Who esque in terms of how can we cut corners? And so it's like, all that I can think of is that maybe the, there was a production overrun or some of the salary or the actor salaries got high. I'm not sure, but it, it didn't feel like a big budget sci-fi film. And to me, that was a benefit of the show. I actually liked it's kind of scrubby, uh, uh, low cost vibe because I think it played into that Western CD aesthetic they're shooting for. I think Netflix buckled to haters and racist and yeah. acquiesced. That seems, that seems possible, but. And plus they're known for canceling good shows after like a season or two. I mean, that's another bigger part is that that that's Netflix model is that they, they at most do three seasons. Very few shows get it up and past that. They, 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 they have figured out the exact point at which they can maximize their profits and then stop putting money into it. So, I mean, that's just, that's their business model now. Like, and, I can't remember. Sorry. No, I was just going to say other companies have found different ways around it. Like Disney Plus, instead of doing that, they'll specifically make shows that are supposed to only be one season long. And then, then there'll be a satisfying conclusion to it. So rather than having, and then if it works well, like say The Mandalorian, then they'll find a new way to bring it back into another season. And I'm not sure if they'll still do this, but the old model where after five seasons it goes in syndication and you start having to pay more money to other people based on that. And I'm not sure that still applies. That applies for streaming shows, but I think that's one of the reasons why Netflix potentially cancels shows so much, or why we potentially have like Stranger Things uh, season four A, mm-hmm. and we're going to conclude with Stranger Things season four B. <laughs> yeah, and I know also some of that has been COVID has made things weird too, right? Like um, this was another. This was a show that that part of the reason why I think uh, had a, 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 a maybe a cost overrun is because it was filmed. It was, it was wrapping up filming right during when COVID hit. So they may have had to institute some expensive uh, COVID policies. So that may be another piece of it. And for, for an action show, that had to have been pretty hard to do. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's get into the episodes. Um, start with session one, uh, Cowboy but Gospel. Oh, We still have cast members to discuss. Oh, I was going just the three. I mean, do we, do we need to talk about Charlie and Harry we, We've Zine? got to talk about the other two that dominated so much of the screen time. And the reason why I dislike this show okay all right which one are you talking about um i'm gonna start with fearless fearless not sorry not fearless i was to say that that's john show we talked about him it's <laughs> another talking thing about alex hassel is vicious vicious right oh god that wig is terrible oh. I'm, I'm not gonna lie that wig is bad <laughs> from top to bottom the character was miscast badly represented overrepresented in all the plots that we're going to go through mm-hmm. and i understand they need a through line I'm not sure if you're, this is like going to be an episode recap, so I'll keep it shorter. Mm-hmm. But if they had removed Vicious or replaced it with a totally different actor or cut Vicious screen time to maybe by 80%, I would have a better liking of the show, even with the twist ending that they added to it. Mm-hmm. Like that just doesn't work. Like everything about him strikes the wrong chord with me. And it is the show is too focused on making that their through line when there could have been other through lines throughout the show. And then that, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to agree with you. I was, I was like that. Um, uh, I, I do want to talk about more in the individual episodes, but I mean, it's good to bring it up now is that uh, uh, Vicious and also um, Elena Satine as Julia, they're kind of the second set of leads in this show and they really shouldn't be. The reason why Julia and Vicious storyline worked in the anime is that we were able to do five episodes of the anime and barely mention both of those characters. Mm -hmm. You cannot talk about this version of the show without mentioning those characters multiple times. They have become the entire B-plot of the show. And I agree with you. It, it, I, 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 they feel editorially mandated, right? It really feels like we need to see these people on screen and this needs to be what happens between heists. And I was like, why can't the show just be heists? Mm -hmm. And the general badness of Vicious impacts and infects the Julia character because that is who the actress is doing most of her work in scenes with. Right. So, and I have some issues with like some of possibly the choices in the representation of how the character was done, mm -hmm. but it is mostly vicious. If they got rid of that actor or did like different choices or cut him down to like 10%, it would work. But mm. All right. my only upside to this is I did appreciate that the only straight white guy on the show was an asshole. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm into that. <laughs> but, but I, I, you're right. I mean, I feel like, I feel like uh, the the other three leads we talked about, um, uh, Spike Jet and uh, Faye. Even with our frustrations with Faye, they played them on a kind of subdued level, right? They were, they were they were put into heightened situations, but they played them a little low. And that balance of, of restrained emotion with heightened, ludicrous situations is what makes the magic work. Mm -hmm. And Alex was just chewing the fucking scenery as vicious. It was the master and Doctor Who level of, I'm going to kill you. You know, and it's like, it just didn't work. And it made it even worse because they were basically shunted off into their own part of the show for a good chunk of it. Uh, so we only get to see them play off of the rest of the cast early and late in the show. And then the entire middle path, they're kind of just doing their own show for a while. And that maniacalness of the master only works if there's some sort of charm or sparkle or something about the character. And right. no offense to the actor, but they were chewing the scenery, but they were wooden and chewing the scenery. Mm -hmm. So that loses. Bah. All right. I've said my piece on that. That's right. Yeah. And, and again, I, he, the other problem is I, I'm not one who watches look, who cares much about like, like wigs in shows, but what is it about Netflix shows and guys with white hair that they cannot get right? Cause the hair looked fake. The witcher has this problem too. It's like, is it just the white wigs just can't look real? I don't know. But I mean, it's, it, it was distracting. It distracted me. Uh, okay. So session one, Cowboy Gospel. Bounty Hunter, Spike Spiegel, and Jack Jet Black thwart an attempted casino heist, leading to a gunfight that severely damages the casino and results in the high cost of repairs being deducted from the heist crew's bounty. Furious at the botched job, leaving them with less money than they had before, Jet picks up a new bounty, hunting down Asimov Solonson and his woman Katarina, who were last seen heading to New Tijuana to sell a stolen stash of Red Eye, a lethal sensory enhancement drug. The pair are also pursued by Spike's old gang, the Red Dragon Crime Syndicate, and rival bounty hunter Faye Valentine, who has been hired for, by Katarina's abusive father to return her. 
Ultimately, Asimov is mortally wounded by a bullet from Faye, and Katerina, unwilling to go back to her father, chooses to commit suicide by flying straight at the police while a distraught Spike watches. The surviving syndicate gunman reports to his boss, Vicious, who kills him after learning of Spike's involvement and orders him to be hunted down. So, um, this is pretty clearly a recap of the, the first episode of the anime, right? It's the red eye stick all over again. And I think it's a bad move. As much as we talked about how amazing that first episode is, I think redoing it right at the top was a bad call because you see a, a tight 22-minute story expanded to a 45, actually, no, like an hour-long story, and it shows. Um, th- this could have been two episodes. This could have been the Casino Heist story, and it could have been the Red Eye story. And I think each of those would have been better, but by sh- jamming them together, we get into things like what's Asimov's motivation and you know about Katarina's relationship with her father. And none of that mattered to the original story. Right. This is, I understand I'm sounding like the person we were just criticizing. Why didn't they just make, remake the original thing? But the problem is that by putting this up front, you're inviting comparisons right out of the gate. And I feel like if they had made the casino heist thing its own thing and showed, no, we're doing our own stuff with these similar characters and then brought the homages in, I think it would have flowed better because I love the casino heist part. I think it is genuinely fun. It feels like it's very much in the world of Bebop. Yeah. And I like, yes, yes, you get the tone. And then they do the red eye story, and it's like, okay, now I'm now I'm immensely comparing, and you're not winning out. <laughs> I I want to disagree a little bit and defend the show, but okay. I really can't <laughs> because the casino bit was actually the best part of this entire episode. Yes, like absolutely. it felt like Spike and Jet. You get their brilliance and their ability to still lose at the same time all mm-hmm. throughout that entire like five or ten minute bit. Mm-hmm. And it felt like the characters that were there, even Spike walking walking in, acting like he doesn't know what's going on, with mm-hmm. headphones on. And when Jet finally shows up, it's like you were supposed to wait. <laughs> like that connection and bond is like instantaneous and having like the random incident where the guy comes out of the bathroom with like this super awesome energy weapon that screws everything up. <laughs> yes. That felt perfect to Cowboy Bebop. Mm-hmm. And I think it would work better if the comparison episode with Asimov and Katrina were moved to the second episode even. Yep. And just mm-hmm. let this like play out anything else. It would have helped figure out who these characters were and like the universe and that would have gave us a chance to see what they were doing and then move into something that we already know. Right. Right. Um, because I, I, and I get the instinct, right? It's like, you want to make sure the fans of the original show get to see stuff that they recognize, but I think you could do that with a lighter touch to start before re- before remaking an entire episode. Um, like if they had, had like um, the, the TV show we talked about where the people get their banished from. If they had like a clip of that in the first episode before they get to the casino heist or whatever, um, you, you show them on the bridge of the bebop. You you bring in a small character from one of the episodes and have them as, you know, now in a different place. Like, you know, even if you move the Teddy Bomber stuff up to this, because Teddy Bomber, well, I'll talk about it next, but that was done pretty differently. The point is, is that you can do, here's some touchstones from the show you recognize now we're going to start showing you how we're remixing the original material and taking our own direction with it. I felt like that would have been a better flow because I cannot overstate it. If I had watched the first 15 minutes of this show, I would have been like, I love this show. I, I want the whole show to be like this. And that's mostly true. 
Um, but it just kind of undercuts itself so fast because just little things like, um, like again, like uh, Spike, he flipped the, he had a, he's flipping a token. He's like, oh, I'm just here to place a bet. And he flips token up and then kicks it into the guy who starts the big fight. <laughs> it was a beautiful moment of this is exactly Spike Spiegel from the anime. And also this is the new stuff we're doing. That, that one moment tells you both it's just like you love, but we're also doing our own thing in a very efficient way. And even the um, the leader of the heist gang, who's just ranting about corporations, <laughs> it's like that's a perfect bebop villain. He's over the top. He's maniacal, but he's not on screen that long, which is I think the problem we had with Vicious, right? It's yeah. like it's okay to have over top villains, but they need to come and go real fast. And this guy does. He's he's just long enough to torment some poor woman and start ranting about how uh, the corporations have ruined you and blah blah blah. And have you go? Actually, this guy maybe has a valid point. And he goes, and then I'm gonna murder all of you. And it's like, okay, never mind. You lost me there. <laughs> you know, I mean that that's that's great. That's that's exactly the energy you want this show to be. And I, and the problem is that then it's the Netflix mandates these kind of roughly forty five minute to an hour fifteen minute episodes. And so it's like, well, now we need to put more in. <laughs> and the whole thing kind of just like sags a bit, which is sad. I, th I think later episodes find a better balance and pace, and I'll, and I'll point that out when we go along. Um, but this one, it, it's so clearly a show of halves, yeah. and it feels like two episodes grammed together, and it doesn't matter. Like, even bringing in Faye early, I don't mind. It's the, you have 10 episodes, you want to get Faye as much of that as possible. I, I get it. And having her just be another bounty hunter that's in on the same job, not a bad call at all. It's like I, I don't I don't have an issue with that per se. They even kept but they even kept their keeping her in a bathroom scene. And while there are some funnier lines in that in the live action version, I think, it still went on a little too long. Whereas the the, the gag is they talk to her in the toilet, they ask her a few questions, they close the toilet and walk away and they go, Hey guys, I mean that's that's the gag in the anime. <laughs> it's played out a little too long. Um so it's it's you see where the adaptation, this is where I argue the adaptation needs to be less faithful because if you stay it's faithful, little things like the pacing of a 22 episode versus pacing of an hour episode starts to show. I, I'm torn on the introduction of Faye in the first episode. Okay. And Faye as a bounty hunter goes back to equivalently just being a female version of Spike. Like, okay. It feels like they diluted part of the character and then tried to uh, in re-infuse it with something that doesn't work for me personally. Okay. And if anything, I so my brain automatically wants to restructure the whole episode. And right. it just focuses like on the casino. And even if we introduce Faye, we use it as a homage to how they met Faye in like episode three. Mm. And have Faye be somehow linked to the casino. And then have like that amazing action scene be like the last part of it and have Faye be doing something there to aid them. Right. Which then sort of builds that team cohesion while she would then stay on and do stuff with the rest of the cast for the rest of the season. But right. the two together and slipping Faye in just on a bounty doesn't work. And it doesn't imply, once again, why Faye would stay with these losers. Right. Because at the end of the day, Spike and Jet are losers. Constantly losing. Right. Absolutely. And if she was super efficient by herself, why would she then lower her own standards to be with them? Mm -hmm. Right. There's a, um, Faye in the anime was very much along the lines of like, she carried herself like she's very efficient, but she actually needed these guys. And so she's always walking that line of like, never telling them she needed them, but then also having to kind of 
show by her actions or show kind of in a roundabout way that she cared. Um, and this one, you're right. It's like, she's, she's just efficient. She, the, all the show has shown us that she's actually pretty good at her job. She's and, brash, but I mean, that's not a, necessarily a problem in this world. And for me in the anime, one of the reasons that Faye stayed with him is that Faye had this obnoxiously high debt that she was in. So right. like in a sense, they are protection and people she can put in front of her shields to escape. Like mm-hmm. that added a, another reason why I hope you, I'll make sure that you stay alive. But if shit goes sideways, I'm burning you and escaping. Right. Right. And this one, it's just kind of, I have amnesia question mark, which we'll get into in a bit. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is kind of what I alluded to before is, uh, Unlike with the anime, and it, that's that's this is fair. Like most animes, don't do cold opens. Uh, they either don't have an intro, or they have the intro right up front. Uh, and this one is much more American television, where modern American television, where there is a unclosed period of time where the show just starts. That's the cold open part, and then you see the intro. Uh, and again, conceptually, not a problem with them. They also have separately title cards which are from the show title cards do not come always immediately after the intro they come some undefined point in the middle of the episode so you're halfway the episode before you realize what the app is actually called (laughs) and in this one it comes out pretty much from the switch from the casino heist to the red eye story even more inviting comparisons as it's given two episodes because the show itself is telling you we can stop here for a moment and then start something <laughs> else immediately afterwards. Uh, so, I frustrate if, if I want to talk about the Red Eye plot a little bit before we move on. I know that we've been on okay. this one for a long time. That's fine. But well, it feels like they also removed a lot of Catalina's agency in this version of the show compared to the anime. Because in the anime, if you remember, even in the barroom fight, Catalina had a gun. It was like shooting syndicate people mm-hmm. left and right. Yes. And in this, the character sort of disappears was hiding behind the bar. Yeah, that's true. And even at the end of the episode where they go into space, she kills Asimov beforehand and they have mm-hmm. like this big eye contact scene. This is so much. And in this one, Asimov is still sort of there and they just sort of get killed by security. Right. Once again, removing like her active choices to do things. They also, did you notice they also removed the drinking while pregnant gag? Yeah. Small thing, but I, that, that was like, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, it's a small thing. But I was like, I, I, I already don't like where this is going. <laughs> and then sure enough, it, it you're right. It, it was a little milk toast. Um, also, uh, her genuine affection of Spike, again, they had to fill time. So the fl- flirty with Spike scene was played out longer. And so, therefore, Asimov had a little more reason to genuinely feel jealous, which, again, really didn't play up with his hair trigger temper yeah. thing in the anime. So, it's like where she just was being nice to a guy for 15 seconds and he's like, we're talking to that guy. Now, it's like, no, they were sharing a cigarette. She was leaning against the car and talking to him for like four or five minutes. I can kind of see where maybe, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm against that kind of toxic jealousy to begin with. But still, I mean, like, he's not, it's not coming from nowhere now. Yeah. And as a side note, I will also say that I do not endorse drug use in any form or fashion. But if you decide to do so, I would rather have the anime version of Red Eye than the live action version of Red Eye. Because in the anime, he took Red Eye and he was dodging bullets. Right. And in the 
in the live action version, he took red eye and people were shooting him. And he was like, that doesn't hurt right now. It's like, <laughs> ooh, ooh, that, that is not a good thing, man. Like, right. it's better to avoid the bullets than to ignore the bullets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Personal quibble, but that's just me. Right. Uh, which again, though, I mean, that, that, that it is a decision that feels a bit low budget. It's like, rather than trying to animate super speed, we could just have him ignore blanks from the set, which is easy to do. <laughs> costs almost nothing. <laughs> no. So, anyway. anything else on this episode? Uh, my, my last bit. I, the reason I think that this episode is structured the way it is is because they needed to get in the bit about the syndicate. That's why we have the flashback yeah. that, that oh, Fearless has. I call him Fearless now. Right. Uh, Fearless to his old relationship and then like the end where you get the syndicate saying, we know you're alive, Fearless. And the one guy escaping. Right. So then that and, can become our thread throughout the show. And again, like that flashback was in episode 20 of the anime and then episode one here, which shows you how much restructuring is being done, which again, I'm not against, but it was no, it was interesting. I saw that flashback too. And I was like, Oh, that's that same flashback. Okay. And it, for me demonstrates, they have a lack of faith either in their writing or a lack of faith in the audience. If you had, trust and faith in the audience you would have written the show that you wanted to write and not have been as dependent on trying to establish syndicate piece before and up front yeah i i do feel like there was a bit of we have to uh tell the audience and we can't just have a character be mysterious for several episodes but that, that's my last thought right all right session two venus pop while tracking down a terrorist known as the teddy bomber on venus spike survives an attempt on his life by a syndicate assassin Pretending to want noodles, Spike secretly visits his Anna, a club owner who raised him as a boy and assumed he was dead. Anna warns him he needs to reveal his past as a syndicate hitman to Jet and also informs him the woman he once loved, Julia, is now married to Vicious. The elders who run the syndicate discover that Vicious has been dealing red-eye without permission and force him to take part in a mock execution of Julia as punishment. Julia calls her husband a weak man for standing up to the elders and he violently chokes her and throws her to the ground. Jet and Spike locate Bomber and subdue him while also keeping a bomb from going off. Spike volunteers to stay behind until Jet can collect the bounty. Anna discreetly eavesdrops on Vicious, being told by his enforcer, Shin and Lin, that his assassin, Gunther, is dead at Spike's hands. And this is where it's... You start to see really clearly there's two shows going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, the Because we don't... Uh, uh, even though we see Vicious at the end of the first episode... We're only told, oh, Spike loved Julia and Julia's not married to Vicious. That we're, we're told that's what the connection is here. But we don't see Spike in any way connecting to this plot line. It's just Spike did a thing. The, the guys who showed up at the thing reporting to their boss, and now they're off doing their own entire subplot of, of overthrowing the elders of the syndicate, which is basically what this whole subplot's about. And... It's frustrating because the Teddy, the way they redid the Teddy Bomber story here is good. Yeah. It's genuinely funny. It's a little more modern. Um, the whole gag of him not being able to, to be able to hear his demands because it's muffled by the mask is a genuinely funny bit. Um, compared to the we don't understand his manifesto of you know the dramatic thing of of uh, jet black reading a book in the anime that we had, it's like this actually was a good way of doing that differently. And I really wish they had put the Teddy Bomber, this were Teddy Bomber stuff into the first episode, and made this whole episode about the red eye. You know, yeah. 
because that would have been a great way to show how they've reinterpreted the show, how they're still bringing up some of the old beats. Mm-hmm. And people, if people have watched the show, I don't think necessarily everyone ever saw the Teddy Bomber episode because mm-hmm. people watch stuff and they fall off. But sure. that would also give you a chance to like use something that's part of the show that maybe not as many people remember or have seen to help cement them in it before you go back to like the first episode that everyone has seen and everyone will have an opinion of. Right. Right. And, and so I, again, I understand the instincts behind it. And it's, it's not, a lot of certainly the, in retrospect kind of quarterbacking, but the, the, the strength of the Teddy bomber heist is kind of overshadowed by this really heavy spike plot. Cause it's spike going to see Anna and I actually, I really like Anna as a character. As far as I know, she's completely new to the show. I liked Anna. I liked the the, the club owner uh, um, as, a, as a character um, in, in this part. Is she, in, is she in the show? No, I want to say she was in the other show. She had served a similar role, but she didn't, I think it was like a cafe that she had. Oh, okay. Like a club. That might be, they may, maybe maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But regardless, I, I, I like her in this, even though, the rest of the season treats her badly, but like yeah. at this point in the show, I really like her as a character, but it is still a lot of spike in this person. We've never seen before sitting around talking about spikes past, which is yeah. the most boring way you could have done that. <laughs> and then I, Julia. Oh my God, Julia. Um, the, the, her standing up to her husband. This is the kind of, <laughs> There's a spark of an interesting character there and is literally choked out of her. It's, uh, I just, it, it drags the show down so much. Like I, I I'm torn about how I want to discuss this now. Um, so, cause I don't my, want to necessarily really drag them and be negative on them because they're, they're actors and they're doing the best they can with the material that they have. Right. No, I mean, I, I feel like this is the writing problem. I really do. Um, because I'm going to be blunt. If you feel like you have to use domestic dispute to make a character named vicious, unsympathetic, mm-hmm. you may need to rethink how you're approaching the problem. His name, his, his motivation is literally in his name, right? And we're setting up that we're setting up the fact that these two are married. Uh, um, he is married spikes, old girl, old flame. Um, and I think at this point we even find out that Spike is believed to be dead. So, so that's, that's all established. Um, then, uh, you, you then bring in this, the whole, he's abusive to her, which taints the rest of the relationship. But a lot of the plot from this point on, minor spoilers, hinges on the fact that Vicious is completely surprised that this woman betrays him. <laughs> Whereas we as the audience could be no, could be anything but surprised by this revelation. And then it also, at the same time, though, it lessens a character of Spike because this is like his bestest buddy, spoiler, right. um, and does all the stuff for, but he would have known what this character does. And when he discovers that Vicious and Julia are married, he still doesn't act to save her or right. get her out of that situation, which if he tried to save her, that's a whole nother trope that we could fall into. But he takes no active choice other than to assume the character is happy with this psychopathic killer. Um, and I'll, I'll let you handle this. Um, uh, Spike's name is Vicious, because clearly you have thoughts on that. Or sorry, Spike's uh, name is fearless. fearless. 
Yeah. Yeah. Easy to mess up, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that's, that's part of the problem. This part. So I, I, I'm frustrated and irritated by the fact that they choose to, because I think in the anime, his real name is in fact Spike Spiegel, and they mm-hmm. felt obligated to then give him a, a real name, of right. Fearless, and his fake name is Spike Spiegel, right. which then brings up a whole other question about, for me at least, what is every other syndicate member's name? Like they all have to have these cool, fighty, vicious, adjective-like names, but how many of them before you run out? Like who are you? I'm punchy. I'm so it's Sleep, I'm snippy. I'm dopey. <laughs> and it detracts. Like you're, if you're building a world right. and everything else, and as you're world building, and you have like these characters, they would have real names, and you might say like it is an easy flip. I'd let it go if they had said that like this is a name he uses when he's on the street working for the syndicate. Sure, it's like I'll let it go. Right. This is his honest to god real name, right. and Everyone I've chosen to now be Spike. Spiegel makes no sense like yeah. that is so are all the syndicate families you're born into them and your parents go I name you killer I name you attacky bite monster <laughs> bite monster bite monster smith <laughs> I, I was making a shout out to a matter eater lad with that one <laughs> nice nice um but yeah like I think Vicious as a name works better. Well, I mean, part of the problem with Vicious is that Vicious name works better when you don't see the character very much. Then you don't have to yeah. think about how ludicrous of a name it is. But when you make him a central character, it should have been, like you said, a working name. Right? Um, a perfect example is I've been playing through uh, the Yakuza video games recently. And the character the character you play, his nickname is the Dragon. But he, not everyone calls him that. He's only called that because he's earned that reputation because of how good of a fighter he is. Uh, and so... Occasionally, when he fights people, it's like, oh my god, you're the dragon of the Jima. Um, and that's like a moment, but otherwise, they just call him by his given name, which I think is Karima. Uh, so, I mean, it's like, it's that's how it should have been. Vicious should have been like the, you know, you're the, you're the legendary killer we've heard about. And we whisper in names who call you Vicious, but then he has a real name. Same with Spike. It's like going, but, but even then, Fearless is kind of a dumb assassin name. Uh, it, it's like, <laughs> So if, if the more you think about it, the worse it gets, right? It's like, I'm fearless. Like, well, obviously you're assassin. So, I mean, you should have a certain low percentage of fear. That's kind of your job description. It's kind of like saying, I'm competent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, so yeah, there, there's so many problems with it that I, I don't want to waste any more of our time on it. But it is one of, one of the bad decisions, but not like the worst decisions. Because right. that... It's more frustrating because that would have been an easy one-line fix, like in the script. Someone in the writer's room, you know what? This is probably a bad idea. How about we just go, this is what they call him because he's so fearless in a fight? Question mark. Done. Right. But I mean, I I think it's a a negative larger problem. And I think let's kind of put all of our subplot thoughts into this. Then we can kind of ignore it for the next two episodes. But this whole subplot is so large that it invites the same kind of speculation about world building that the other part of the show does. And that world building is fun. Like, you know, why is there a new Tijuana? And so different planets have these different kind of cultures and how those kind of come about. Um, you know, why is this guy called the Teddy Bomber? And then it's a really good bit about that. Like the guy's name is Theodore. And it's like, okay, that's actually a funny bit, right? We were thinking Teddy as in bear and no, it's actually his nickname. Okay. That's a cool bit of world building. You know, to, to counterbalance the vicious thing. That's, that's a fun naming thing. 
Um, and even the, at this point in time, we're getting the um, jet subplot of him trying to buy a doll for his daughter. And that actually goes on for another episode even. But while I, that, that subplot wasn't necessary to my personal tastes, it was an interesting thing. So I think if you could have made more room for the high stuff and, and push the subplot of the syndicate down to the occasional scene we have in between those, like here's a couple minute scenes of that and let that play out more. And I just really make that subplot a lot less complicated. Then vicious would appear like a genuine threat because we're only seeing bits and snippets of him. But the problem is we're seeing him constantly fail at his job. I propose that we're in fact looking at this show in the complete wrong way. Okay. Now that we're talking about it. I, in fact, think that the main plot is a syndicate plot and everything else is a subplot to the syndicate plot because we have so much screen time of Vicious Julie in the syndicate and then we have so much of about half of Spike's time is being spent on syndicate activities. My counterpoint to that is the show is literally named after the ship. Uh, I know. That's kind of like some, look- Sherlock's a good show if you realize it's a show about Moriarty, which is not an unproblematic unprob- <laughs> view in, in, in the BBC version. But I'm looking at it from the aspect of the amount, like the percentage of runtime dedicated to X and Y. Mm-hmm. And I would, I think I could safely say that at least over 50% is dedicated to syndicate plot. Yeah, I think it's fair. So that would, that would make the syndicate plot like the primary plot and everything else like a subplot, which doesn't make me watching it any better. But I'm just mm-hmm. thinking now of high level based on our discussion. Right. Uh, anything else about this episode? Uh, I would not want. I would not give that doll to my daughter, regardless of her age. That's it. That's it. That's all I got. Especially not for ten thousand Wulong, man. That's a cheap version. I know. Uh, okay, the session three, Dog Star Swing. On Mars, Spike and Jet hunt down a serial murder, serial murderer, Abdul Hakim, while Ugh. Jet tries to find an expensive talking doll for his daughter Kimmy's birthday. During their investigation, they discover that Hakim, a refugee from Earth, killed his victims, all of which were wealthy refugees, because he blamed them for leaving him and his parents to die so they could take their pets with them instead. He stole dogs to kill them, ultimately couldn't bring himself to pull the trigger. Spike and Jet talk Hakeem into surrendering, but ISSP officers then shoot him dead to avoid having to pay his bounty. When the doll is accidentally destroyed, Jet instead gives Kimmy one of the dogs, a corgi named Ayn. His ex-wife refuses the gift and forces him to take it back due to heavy luxury taxes on real pets. Meanwhile, Spike, having located Vicious' drug factory on Mars, sends its enemy a message by firing a sniper bullet into the bulletproof window of his car. So here, good news, less Vicious subplot. <laughs> Bad news, replaced with a really sketchy antagonist. All right, let's just go ahead up front and, and say that holographic blackface <laughs> is just utter bullshit. Like, from start to finish, I was wondering down, which one was going to get to that one first. <laughs> this, like, taint the entire episode just throughout there's there's no way not to have that like at the top of any discussion about it here's something i realized on the second watch because at first i was like that made me uncomfortable and i watched again i realized something it's even worse the actor playing actual dual king never speaks he has no lines zero lines in this show the white actor has all of the lines i'm like oh that's that's even worse oh man and i if if the rest of the show was not so diverse, I would have a whole like rant and thing about it. But I, I still have issues 
but they they're not lessened, but they're not as intense because they were trying to do something. Right. But it still sucks. Right, right. Um because like this episode also has some again, interestingly weird diverse things. Like um a little bit's like uh Vicious takes a phone call and he answers with mushy mushy. Uh, which is actually the Japanese way you say hello when you're getting a cell phone call. Uh, it was a little throwaway line, but they actually, I watched some subtitles on, they actually subtitle it, Mushi Mushi, not hello, which I thought was interesting. Um, another part is there's a, uh, a sushi vendor and um, he talks with a stereotypical Chinese accent until Spike calls him out and then he drops to a normal, to an American <laughs> accent. Uh, so like, there's bits like that that I really appreciated. Um, there's another bit in, uh, the next episode we're covering that, that does as well. So I'm like, you're right. It's like, there's a clear attempt and I would still argue that this is holistically a better attempt than the most obvious analogy, Firefly, um, where they actually are trying to present genuinely multicultural people, part of it by casting actors of color, um, and having a, a black man with a fro, Afro doing uh, martial arts is a cool <laughs> bit, right? Even if it is kind of reminiscent of of um, what is that anime? I'm blanking on it now. Uh, anyway, uh, there's an anime. I don't even think character. think they were going for that. I think they were going back to the Bruce Lee movie with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, oh, oh! Right, right, um, right, right. <clears throat> I can't remember the name of it right on. now. Right, um, but, not Masters of Death. It's something else. <laughs> Um, uh, um, point is like, you know, there were, there were some good attempts here, but the, like some, it was but also, um, this is the episode where we first meet, um, the, the Gren, a non-binary character and Gren is amazing. He, yeah. They are perfectly snarky and wonderful and, and a lot of fun. And in later episodes, Gren has a genuine character arc, which is surprising as hell. Um, so it, 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 it's easy to look at the one misstep out of context and go, oof, that's bad. And don't get me wrong, it's still bad. Uh, but it is in, the, it, in, in a soup of sincere attempts that generally do land pretty well. And it's also nice that there was, in my opinion, more positive representation of sex and sexuality when they're yes. going around through like all the different places and clubs. And like mm-hmm. that was good to see. And it also held true to their characters where jet is still prudish and not sure what to do when they're in there and spike is like i don't have enough to afford a session this time mm-hmm. oh yeah and also um uh i think this episode where uh we have woodcock right yeah um and again a, a positive representation of a wo- an older woman with sexual interests um and some of her is... flirty lines though Ooh, ooh. yeah but ooh. i mean it's 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 rough and it's somewhat played for humor but it's also not in the, oh my God, this old woman's hitting on you so much as the, you know, uh, you, you, you know, it, it's more the fact that anyone will be flirting with it. The, the kind of ribbing that happens is if anyone were so aggressively flirting with Jet, not because there's an older woman flirting with Jet. Yep. Uh, so I dug, it was a nice balance and they stuck the landing on that. It was like, they're making fun of him because it was an awkward conversation, not because it was an older woman. And it held true to like their, bantery friendship slash association that they have. Right. Like these mm-hmm. are, that's why the initial episodes up to now were so important to help build those. Right. Exactly. Now we're starting to get into the full relationship. Um, and 
and and and again, it's also I I had to pick this one because it's the direction of Ayn, um, which is a sadly marginalized in this version of the show. But really, you're in a live action. We've discussed they have a very limited budget. Right. There is no way they could have done Ayn justice. The fact that no. they even included Ayn in and of itself was big. Well, I mean, I, I, did, I couldn't think of a way they couldn't have, right? It, so it's like, there was, if you don't include Ayn, people would have revolted to it. Again, it's one of those things like, there's certain touchstones you have to include, and, and Ayn is one of them. Surprisingly, and look, we're going to spoil this part, but like, at Radical Ed's only shows up at the very tail end of the last episode. So I mean, like, Ed is in the show technically, but they're in for like, maybe five minutes, which is sad. But again, they only had so much time. It is, but I'm also trying to think of, in this interpretation of the show, where would Ed have fit in in first season? Right, and that's the problem. The the one place I could have fit Ed in is if they'd cut it, cut the vicious and Julia plot line down ninety percent, and then you could have had a proper on, you could have proper Ed, and focused on the crew of the Bebop assembling for the first season, and then second season you could have gone more heavy into them and their snicket shenanigans. Right. right. Okay. Anything else in this episode? Nah. All right. It's the last one. Galileo Hustle, episode seven. Uh, Whitney play, uh, Whitney, blah, blah. Whitney pays Faye a visit and offers her a job in Santos City in exchange for her identikit. Posing as Faye's mother, Whitney convinces Jet to launch the Bebop for the job. Upon their arrival, Spike and Jet identify Whitney as a wanted con artist, but they encounter the arms dealer Iron Mink, who threatens <laughs> them to surrender the Bebop for their lives. Using the tracking beacon in Whitney's ring, Spike and Jet roam around the city to lure Iron Mink while Faye and Whitney go retrieve a base identikit. Upon their arrival at a storage warehouse, Faye discovers her identikit in the form of VHS tape before she and Whitney are cornered by Iron Mink, but Whitney uses a safe word to spare their lives. As Whitney and Iron Mink kiss, Faye bails out with Whitney's ship. Meanwhile, Vicious lays down his plans with Mao and Santiago to overthrow the elders from the syndicate, but Julia later gives Mao a bigger offer to betray Vicious. Back aboard the Bebop, Jet plays the tape, revealing a home video of young Faye. And this episode is how I thought the whole show should have been in a lot of ways. The, the, the mm-hmm. Vicious plotline was pretty small. Yes, there's some politics in the background, but it's not very much. Um... Vicious was played less camp in this episode. Um, he comes across as genuinely a schemer in this. Uh, Julia's a bit heightened, but you know, in general, she I, I feel like she's genuinely trying to use this and against politics against it. I feel like if the whole show had been this ratio, like 75% Bebop crew, 25% the vicious plotline, I think the whole show would have been a lot stronger. So this Agreed. is an episode. This is one of the episodes. Like, I thought the show got its stride, and unfortunately, it was too late. Agreed, but also in the age of television that we live in now, you can't function like this anymore. I know, like you can't have your best stuff on the back end. If anything, you put something great in your first episode, and then mm-hmm. you might get a couple of middle episodes, and you have to have something else that's awesome. Yeah, but you need to like establish your footing early on and run with it. Yep, because with streaming. People are always going to start with the first episode and that episode to grab them. They're not going to get to episode seven. Whereas in broadcast television, people might tune in next and catch episode seven and go, oh, this is a great show. It's kind of how we discussed briefly in the for the modern Voltron, how their first episode is, in fact, three episodes together because mm-hmm. it was a stronger piece in like one random 30 minute episode. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, but aside from this, um, this is definitely. Again, if if Faye had been more of this character, more of a con artist type, I think that 
it would, she would have felt like less overlap with Spike. Yeah. And we're only really seeing her con artist chops at this point. Um, but her relationship with, with Whitney is, is genuinely fun to watch. Um, which, and I like the gender swap for Whitney also. That was a very nice touch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, having an older woman, again, goes back to the an older woman. She's presented as an attractive older woman. Nobody in the show refutes that assertion. Everyone's like, yeah, no, this woman is, is, is hot, even though she's an older woman. Uh, or maybe even because she's an older woman. Um, I, I love that the show does that. And also that she is just a relentless con artist. <laughs> and it, it just, she's just so good at it. Um, and everyone knows that she is this and they still go along with it is, is just amazing. Um, uh, I like the fact that at this stage, they're also casually weaving uh, Russian into the mix of the polyglot we have going here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron Mink is definitely a comedy villain. Again, that kind of heightens camp comedy villain. But he, again, he's only on screen long enough to sell this idea. I, I, I still want Iron Mink to show up in Iron Man. Fight Iron Man like in, his, in their own battle suit. It's just a mink, mink, robot mink. Yes, it's like Whiplash, but with a, like a fuzzy robe instead. <laughs> and then on top of this, a scene that we didn't cover in the recap, which is fantastic, is that um, Jess' daughter Kimmy has a recital that he wants oh, to go yeah. to. Yeah, and so it's it's kind of a retread of the "I need to get a doll" thing, but at some point in time, he's. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Spike has the ring to lure Mink away, and he's like, "I gotta go to the recital." So he goes into a, just a bar, um, and does a hollow recital. So, he, so basically, they see him hollow projected, and he sees everything around him, which is a cool bit of technology, right? It's a way to get the actor on the set while still keeping different places. But then they use it for great comedic effect because, like, he's you know at the, the recital and he's up and he's dancing, and then we cut to him, and in the through the window we see Spike having this amazing fight scene, and then we just cut away from it. Like there's this amazing scene between twenty five people happening, and we're just seeing Kevin in the corner of the background where he jets dancing with his hands in the air, and it is hilarious. Coupled with the bartender who waves <laughs> at him like hello, <laughs> and it shows you like how graphic, like and realistic he what his experience is because he doesn't even notice a bartender. Until mm-hmm. the bartender actively says something to him that sort of breaks his concentration. Right, right. And it's it, again, it's wonderful because like it, it's world building. It's telling you how this technology works. Um, we're getting some progress on the jet storyline uh, with his uh, daughter and his divorced wife and her new boyfriend's husband. I forget which one it is. Um, while they're on a job, and it was. While we earlier on had, again, the, the kind of martial arts John Cho stuff, now we're seeing the other thing that he's known for, which is his comedic action chops. And it was also just perfectly Spike because, like, um, he's standing outside. Jet goes in. The whole scene happens. We see what happens. But Jet comes out to just a bunch of bodies lying around. <laughs> and Spike's like, so, hey, how'd it go? How was the recital? You know, perfectly Spike's people just completely underplaying the fact that he beat up 15 guys in the street. <laughs> So like it's moments like this where the show shine and I would have loved to have seen a second season of that. Like yes, that is absolutely. just gold and magic. My, my favorite Spike Jet moment, I think also comes episode. Again, that scene is um, Jet's like, listen, I, I, I got to go. And it's like, we're in the middle of a job. And it's like, you know, I go to Kim and Sarah, It's like, you'll be on the other side. I was like, she got the lead. And Spike's like, okay, go. You know, it's, it's <laughs> such a moment of their friendship because it's the Spike's just like, 
see a click in his head, like, nope, I see why this is important to you. Never mind. I will beat up a million guys so you can watch your daughter be the lead in her recital. And I just love that one because I guess the friendship is so there, but also so understated. And it's, it's, oh, it, that's what I love about the anime. And that was a moment where you could really see the potential in the show, which is why it's so frustrating to watch it again. Cause it's like, I want, right. I want the whole show to be this episode and particularly that moment. <laughs> and it also helps cement who Jet is because when they find out that Faye had been conning them, Jet goes on this thing about like, so you conned us so we can't trust you. If you just asked us, we would have helped you. Mm -hmm. And you genuinely believe that Jet would have. Yeah. Goes back to Jet being like the dad of the ship. Yes. And wanting everyone to like put out their truths and work together. Like it Mm -hmm. always goes back to submitting for him to do that throughout the anime and even in this. And it shows like how someone, this is like one of the reasons that I liked the actress that was playing Faye is she expresses that broken hearted moment that like, yeah, mm-hmm. I could have just told you all this and we would have been fine. Right. Um, but what goes back to the quote is because that's something that um, Spike says is that I never thought it was any use in denying the past, even though that's the whole show is Spike denying the past. Like that, that that's the thread we go through is that that's what Spike's doing. And so it's an, it, it's a great counterbalance of, Spike and Fa- Spike and Jet going. You can trust us, and while well, simultaneously Spike going, but I'm not telling Jet this. Um, and it's a bit of manufactured drama, but to, you're right. I mean, it, it shows where uh, the actress clearly had the range, and if they'd be given better material, I think Faye could have been just as much a, a great character alongside the two. We only saw glimmers of it, and, and really, this is the episode where, like, if we had a whole show of Fane just conning her way through the Bebop universe, I would I would love that as as subplots. Yeah. Um, but the problem is that you're right, she's kind of spiked light for like the first half of the show. And then her not quite pathological need to lie, but certainly her strong distrust of everyone. And, and it's understandable. She has amnesia and the only parent figure she had conned her. Um, you know, it's understandable why she's like that. So it's like, yeah, just put that up front or like right up on two ish. Um, and just have her constantly manipulating everyone around her. That would have given her distance from Spike, who is a little too straightforward, and Jet, who is again team dad. Um, I like the fact that I joked about him being the dad of the ship last episode, and now yeah. he's literally a dad, and so it's even more reason why he's playing this role. Um, so it's 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 just a great moment. And, and it goes back again, when I was watching, I was thinking back in my head where he said there are very few positive uh black father figures in media and jet black's another one you know here's another one where he's trying his best to do what he can and it's never presented as anything but genuinely authentic attempt to try to to be a part of his daughter's life and it's also nice i don't think we watched this episode of it but the fact that he lost his family is because of a corrupt cop and him having to take a fall for it and that shows that it wasn't like a choice he made he didn't like cheat on his wife or wasn't available for them but it's outside forces that cause this rift between his family. And he wants mm. his family back, but he knows he can't have it. So he's doing the best he can. Yep. Um, so it's... So, so to kind of wrap things up, That that I think it's why I started with... I like this a little bit less, mainly because the first time through, I was just... I really just saw the potential. And I watched it the first month. So I watched it and then heard there was yeah. going to be season two. So I came back knowing that it was only one season. And I started to see the seams and the cracks and that frustrated me because the moments that shine, shine so brightly. There, there's so much potential. This has been a great franchise 
with amazing people of color doing Firefly 10 times better and being a genuinely interesting addition to the action adventure landscape of media and combined with just being attached to a property that is a seminal work and just not being able to match up to that because expectations are way too high and just some pacing issues. And like you said, an over-reliance on vicious as an interesting plot point, it, it just never quite hit there. And for me, I watched it when it first dropped because I wanted to give Netflix my viewing numbers to try to support the show of diverse people. Even if I had problems with it, I watched it the entire run and I found stuff that I liked, but I always went back to like those few quibbles I think I brought up throughout the course of the show. Mm. But the fact that it never had a chance, like out of the gate, it was just done. Yeah. Hurt me personally because shows other shows that are of lesser quality with a primarily cis white cast are given like ample opportunities multiple times to continually succeed. And the few opportunities you're given to marginalized or POC presenting shows have to suffer significantly more feet, pushback, hate. And sometimes I've mentioned it before on the podcast is that you have a non-diverse writing room that writes weak material for marginalized people, right? Because they don't seem to care as much. I can even say some of my projects, I've had people that don't care the same amount work on my projects as they would work for a white publisher. Mm-hmm. And, that hurts and that shows. And unless you have someone in charge that can make active changes, you're stuck with what we got. Right. And, and, and I think what really hurts is that you can't accuse this show of being that, right? It's clear. Everyone loves bebop and really wanted this show to succeed. Um, the amount of detail, attention and stuff like the little things like um, the communicators they have, uh, they found this great balance of, Technology that is understandably futuristic from a 2022 perspective while also keeping a 90s vibe to it. So they have super cool cell phones, but they look like pagers. And it's a small little touch, but it was a great way of finding the balance or like Faye finding a VHS tape, which would have been modern technology at the time of the show, but now looks antiquated to us. So it was a nice kind of way of showing the progression of time while still keeping that aesthetic. Yeah. Um, and the Bebop itself, like the actual set, was amazing. I love yeah. the set of the Bebop. It looks just like the ship, but also it you could see views of it that we couldn't see before. And it feels like it's a real place, which is really hard for Starship sets to do in shows. And I know that some of the writers and everyone else came out and the producers said, we had all these great plans for second season. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you can depend on. Like unless right. you have a contract with someone that says, we're going to go ahead and give you three seasons and you build for your three seasons. Right. You can't build an okay first season to then try to make a spectacular second season. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, what could have been, what could have been? Um, I, I am disappointed that uh, fans did not rally around this. Uh, I can certainly see some reasons why, but Man, I, I it, while I was disappointed to go back again, I still genuinely loved to revisit some of these high points, hmm. and I think it's why I made me more frustrated because the whole time I was like, oh, "This is all I'm going to get," and, and it's it's and it's more vicious stuff. I mean, I, I genuinely like, I would zone out during the vicious scenes. It was it was, it was rough, um, and I guess. And, and, Man, my, 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 my friend Gren kept getting shoved into those subplots. I'm like, oh, but Gren is so great. <laughs> I guess my old man moment is going to be that 
growing up, there weren't a lot of geek or sci-fi shows. And we sort of hit this golden age. Yeah. And people don't seem to understand that if you attack every single thing that comes out because there's one or two things you don't like mm-hmm. and it gets canceled, they're going to stop making them because right. it doesn't make money. And then we're going to go back to where we have nothing but for people, sorry, for people that like it, still a woman thing, nothing but like Dallas on all of our <laughs> channels or worse yet, nothing but reality television because it's cheap to make right. and it gets views and clicks and it costs them really nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's our kind of brief side exploration of uh, Cowboy Bebop. We hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, so let's talk about next season, Chris. What are we doing? Season three, romantic comedies. We're going to start with How I Met Your Mother. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> let's jump Not into only that. Did you do that, but also you picked that show. <laughs> let's jump into that trash fire. Um, so, really, we, we joked about it. And I know people are going to be surprised. But I eventually convinced Eddie to let us do superheroes. Yes. Like that... That that's one of my favorite genres. I love reading comics. Eddie didn't really want to because he doesn't like comics, and it was I it was forgot, a hard push. Because all episodes have made very clear that I I read comics begrudgingly. <laughs> uh, so season three is going to be our longest season, and I guess I'll give you like a little quick breakdown because we we're running super long today. Mm-hmm. But we're probably going to break it down into multiple waves for season three because there's mm-hmm. a lot of superhero media we want to go over. Oh yeah, and we'll go into more of it probably in the first episode. But for folks that are looking to get a jump on it and not be spoiled if you haven't already, we're going to kick off season three with Agent Carter on Disney+. Plus. I think it's still there. Um, Hope so. Starting with season one, episode one, Now is Not the End. Episode four, The Blix Creed Button. Episode eight, Valediction. And rounding it off with season two, episode one, The Lady in the Lake. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about agent Carter next time. Um, if people have questions of you about, uh, cowboy bebop or even really anything we talked about, where'd they find you online? You can find me at darker underscore hue, or you can find me in the darker hue discord. And for those few folks that have followed John Rillis, I promise that eventually John Rillis will start tweeting more. Maybe. <laughs> I do not promise that. Um, but, uh, you can find me on uh, Pugsteady. That's P U G S T A D Y. My website is Pugsteady.com. Uh, if you have bought everything for Darker Hue and want to buy more stuff, you can buy my stuff at realmsofpugmire.com or you can find me in the, uh, Darker Hue Discord, uh, just tweeting random nonsense these days. It seems that's what I, what I do. Um, so thank you all for listening and we will catch you next week. When we talk about agent Carter. Catch you later. Let's jam. <laughs>